0: KPBS On Demand is supported by Arizona Raft Adventures, a third-generation family-owned outfitter providing experiential multi-day Colorado River rafting adventures through the Grand Canyon. Hiking, exploration, education, and fun. Only a seven-hour drive from San Diego. Learn more at azraft.com.
1: Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Tuesday, August 10th. The VA's challenge with mandating the COVID-19 vaccine More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. Protesters rallied against vaccine requirements for health care workers on Monday afternoon at Rady Children's Hospital. Rady Children's registered nurse Lisa Silvera says current safety protocols should be enough.
2: We wear masks at work. We wear face shields. With all the patients that I've taken care of and the adults I've been around, I haven't caught it yet with those safety precautions. So I don't understand why they feel that we need to be forced if the current methods are
1: working. Police say some of the no vaccine protesters came from Los Angeles and there were counter protesters as well. State officials say by requiring hospitals, skilled nursing and other medical staff to be vaccinated, they're protecting the most vulnerable. Meanwhile, members of the military who may have been reluctant to get the COVID-19 vaccine may no longer have a choice. U.S. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin is seeking approval from President Joe Biden to make the COVID-19 vaccine mandatory for all service members by September 15th. A flash flood watch is in effect from noon today through tomorrow evening in the San Diego County Mountains. It's expected to be sunny at first, but then there's a 50% chance of severe thunderstorms by the afternoon. San Diego deserts have a 30% chance of afternoon thunderstorms, with highs in the low 100s. Along the coast, just cloudy and mostly sunny. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. President Biden has ordered workers at most federal agencies to get COVID-19 vaccines or submit to weekly testing, but one agency has gone further. The Department of Veterans Affairs says its frontline health workers must get vaccinated by mid-September or they'll lose their jobs. But enforcing the mandate and reaching hesitant employees is proving to be a challenge. From San Antonio, Carson Frame reports for the American Homefront Project.
3: Every person who walks through the doors of San Antonio's Audie Murphy VA Medical Center gets screened for COVID-19. It's part of a systematic approach to prevention that VA has honed since the start of the pandemic. But now VA leaders have a new tool to prevent infections, a vaccine mandate for more than 100,000 of the agency's health workers. VA Secretary Dennis McDonough blamed the Delta variant, which has shown itself to be highly transmissible and may lead to more severe infections.
0: Given that our veterans have more complicated healthcare situations, I think that it's my responsibility to do everything within my power uh, to ensure that when they come into a VA facility, uh, they can have confidence that they will be safe and not be exposed.
3: The mandate affects doctors, dentists, nurses, physician assistants, and certain specialists. At Audie Murphy, there are about 1,300 of them. Valerie rodriguez U is the nurse executive. She says the mandate makes her feel validated.
2: I don't know that it makes me feel safer, but what I will say is that I feel supported by uh, the Veterans Health Administration as a whole in taking this step forward to say this is, uh, you know, getting a vaccine is that important to us as an enterprise
3: Rodriguez U has been on the front lines of several COVID 19 surges. She says healthcare workers have witnessed the worst outcomes of the virus and faced extreme emotional and physical hardship. So she struggles to wrap her mind around why some refuse to get the shot.
2: It is frustrating to know that there are healthcare workers in this organization who have chosen to not get vaccinated because it's the only way that we can really protect our staff and
3: protect our veterans. Audi Murphy leaders have ordered staff members to report their vaccine status. They can also request a religious or medical exemption. Medical center director Chris sandals says he 's gotten a few messages from skeptics on staff, including an anonymous comment on his in-house blog
0: the employee made you know, some comments about the vaccines either not being effective or you know this being something Big Pharma was trying to push on the community, not something I would expect to hear from someone that worked in the healthcare field where we're expected to speak truth, use data and science.
3: Sandal says he doesn't yet know how many of his healthcare workers are unvaccinated, but he thinks it's a relatively small number. He says he'll continue to do what he's always done provide employees the latest CDC guidance, give them vaccine safety information, and make sure they know how to get shots.
0: It's difficult for us to encourage those that we care for uh, to get vaccinated if we ourselves aren't willing to do it.
3: Healthcare worker unions have been fairly quiet about the mandate. National Nurses United says it supports mandatory vaccines as part of a bigger public health program. The American Federation of Government Employees, which represents the largest share of VA workers, encourages vaccination, but suggests it should not be a condition of employment. Air Force veteran Charles Moore, who was outside the San Antonio VA after a doctor's visit, says he's vaccinated, but doesn't think it should be required of VA's health care staff. He worries that requiring vaccines will force health care workers to quit and bog down the system.
4: I hope that the VA make the right decision about this matter, because they do have some great employees and like I would hate to lose any of them.
3: Frontline VA healthcare care workers have until mid-September to comply with the mandate. If they have a qualifying exemption, they may be moved to areas of the medical center that aren't high risk.
1: That was Carson Frame reporting from San Antonio. This story was produced by the American Homefront Project, a public media collaboration that reports on American military life and veterans. Funding comes from the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. The Chula Vista Elementary School District has over 28,000 students attending in-person instruction. In the three weeks since students have been back at school, there's been COVID-19 cases. KPBS's Alexandra Ronhell has more on how school officials are managing to keep students health and safety at the forefront. Communications Director Anthony Milligan says the school district saw a drop in enrollment by about 1,200 students this school year. Out of the 28,000 students in about 300 chose to stick to online instruction. As the Delta variant continues to make headlines, Milliken says there has been an increase in students wanting to switch to online instruction. Now the district is working to hire more online instructors as they currently have 99
3: students on a waiting list for the district's virtual academy.
0: We've had positive cases we, which we thought would happen, right? Um, but that's the importance of having the multi-layered strategies in place.
1: For the month of July, the school district registered 112 positive COVID cases from students. And so far for the month of August, 16 students have tested positive for the virus. And that reporting from KPBS's Alexandra Ron Hell. A dramatic video by the San Diego Sheriff's Department meant to demonstrate the dangers of fentanyl exposure to police, has backfired. KPBS's Amitha Sharma says the video was met with skepticism in the medical world.
0: I was trying to gasp for breath, but I, I, I couldn't breathe at all.
4: That's San Diego Sheriff's Deputy Trainee David Five. He overdosed on fentanyl in early July after being exposed to the opioid, according to a slickly produced video put out last week by the department.
0: I got you, okay? I'm not going to let you die. I'm not
4: going to let you die. Carla Marienfeld is medical director of the UCSD Addiction Recovery and Treatment Program. She says it's improbable that the deputy actually overdosed.
3: Based on what's shown in that video, it's unlikely that that deputy had a sufficient exposure to have such a quick and extreme reaction.
4: Under Sheriff Kelly Martinez told KPBS's John Carroll late last week, medical doubt about what the video depicts was unfortunate.
2: For the people who don't believe that it's true and that it really happened and that somehow we're lying about it, you know, they don't have to watch it.
4: Asked why the department waited one month to disclose the reported overdose, Martinez said it took time to assemble, quote, the well-produced video.
1: And that was KPBS's Amitha Sharma. Experts say that while the sheriff's department might be well-meaning in showing the dangers of fentanyl, releasing such a video runs the risk of fueling misinformation and creating panic. Coming up, a U.N. climate report says it's too late to stop more heat waves and extreme weather events. But if dramatic action is taken now, it's not too late to stop the worst of it. We have more on that next, just after the break. and in the near future could still save humanity from climate catastrophe. That's one hopeful message in a United Nations report on global climate change. But it won't save us from the climate changes we're already experiencing. More heat waves, fires, floods, and sea level rise. More than 200 climate scientists contributed to the latest report by the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change, or the IPCC. The report contains five scenarios for the future based on how successful the world is at cutting carbon emissions and limiting global warming. Paul Edwards is the director of the Program on Science, Technology and Society at Stanford University, and he's one of the lead authors of the IPCC report. He spoke with KPBS Midday Edition host Maureen Kavanaugh. Here's that interview.
2: The last time the IPCC issued a report on climate change was back in 2013. Can you give us an idea of how the situation has changed since then?
5: It has a number of things that are new. One is that climate change due to human influences is now an established fact. There's no more question about that. The temperature has risen about 1.1 degrees centigrade, which is about 2 degrees Fahrenheit since the 19th century. And on the course we're on now, we will probably hit about 1.5 degrees centigrade, nearly three degrees Fahrenheit by around 2035. So we can still stop that if we can reach net zero carbon emissions by 2050. But we have now a carbon budget So that means that we know about how much more carbon dioxide we could emit to have a chance of limiting temperature growth to one and a half degrees. And that amount is 400 billion tons for a two out of three chance of limiting the growth to uh, one and a half degrees.
2: Are aspects of climate change happening more quickly than scientists were anticipating back in 2013?
5: I don't think that's changed a lot, but we do know more about the rates of change. And one of the most important of those is sea level rise, which has accelerated even in the last decade. So that means that it will go up more quickly. It's still slow on human time scales. But we also know that we're committed to sea level rise for centuries to even thousands of years With the amount of carbon we've already put into the atmosphere. We also know that there are abrupt changes that could happen. Uh, This report pays more attention to those than some of our previous reports and talks about, for example, what might happen if the West Antarctic ice sheet were to collapse or the Greenland ice sheet were to melt more quickly than anticipated.
2: What does the kind of warming that's expected now actually mean on a practical level to people's lives?
5: Well, it means that there will be more extreme events and they will happen more often. Those events, especially in a place like San Diego, are going to be the ones you're already familiar with. Drought, fire and flood. We now are much better at estimating the contribution of climate change to extreme events. And we can see it rising even with respect to individual events, we call that event attribution. So we know that we will have these things. We also know that they may happen in conjunction with each other more often. So we get droughts and also fire at the same time. The strange thing about a place like San Diego and really the entire American Southwest is that we may have both more rain and more drought at the same time, but they come in different ways. We have heavier rainfalls that happen more frequently, but they'll be limited to a shorter period of the year. And the soils will dry out more in the summer. Uh, leading to a greater risk of fire in the uh, fire seasons that are getting longer and longer.
2: You know, up until recently, climate scientists have been reluctant to blame climate change for individual weather events like the heat dome or stronger typhoons. Now scientists seem more willing to make that connection. And why is that?
5: That's because we have better models of this and a better understanding of the physical processes that underlie them. Uh, It's also because of the way we approach it, which is not to say that Climate change causes a particular event, that's never true, but more that climate change contributes to the likelihood of particular events. Now we can say much more precisely how much it contributes.
2: Is there any way to reverse the changes that have already happened?
5: We can reverse some, but not all of them. So if we are able to stay within the carbon budget of 400 billion tons remaining, Uh, We can limit the the change in temperature globally to about one and a half degrees centigrade, and maybe even bring it down slightly over the coming century. Uh, Things like sea level rise and rainfall events that I was just talking about will be with us no matter what happens, because those are committed from previous inputs of carbon dioxide into the atmosphere.
2: I want to talk a little bit more about sea level rise. What does this uh, amount of sea level rise, 6 to 12 inches, by the middle of this century, what does that mean for metropolitan areas along the coasts like San Diego?
5: Of course, everything depends on what the shape of your coast is like. If it's very low-lying, then you will have serious, serious issues. And some places like Miami are going to have worse trouble than a place like San Diego that has cliffs to protect it, but it still means that any port will eventually need to rebuild its infrastructure to take account of the effects of sea level rise and of storm surges that will happen along the coast and erode the cliffs.
2: Do you expect some areas of the world to be affected more by climate change than others?
5: Yes, and one of the unique things about this report, unlike previous ones, is that we break it down into 45 or so individual regions around the world. So in the past, we've always looked mainly at the global scale or the continental scale, and now we're at much lower level. So the Arctic is expected to warm at double to quadruple the rate of the rest of the planet. Uh, And the the Antarctic to a lesser extent will also warm more than the, the tropics. One of the strange things about our place here in the mid-latitudes, and San Diego is kind of on the southern end of what we call the middle latitudes, is that the, the tropics are essentially moving northward. That is, tropical weather is now moving north into our areas and beginning to affect what we see. That's part of why we have the uh, rain bombs that occur here once in a while during our atmospheric rivers. So yes, it's going to be different in different places, and Uh, we have a better idea of what to expect around the world.
2: The IPCC report lists five scenarios for the future based on how successful the world is at limiting carbon emissions. And they range from, uh, you know, making fast and massive pollution cuts to maintaining business as usual. But the report finds the worst scenario is increasingly unlikely. And why is that?
5: Well, in part, it was unlikely even when it was first designed in the 1990s. Uh, It was known as a business-as-usual scenario, but analysis of it since then has shown that it was high even for that period. Now, that doesn't mean it's impossible. It still could happen if we lose all control of carbon emissions as the world uh, moves toward a population of 10 billion people. One thing that has changed for the better is that the turn toward renewable energy sources and greater energy efficiency in all kinds of things have slightly decreased the per capita uh, output on a global basis.
2: What is your overall takeaway message from this massive IPCC report?
5: Well, so the IPCC doesn't recommend particular policies, but it can tell us what will happen if we don't do certain things. And one thing that we know is that we must reduce to net zero carbon emissions by about 2050 to have hope of staying on the path of one and a half degrees centigrade change, which would avoid the worst really catastrophic outcomes. So how we get there is entirely up to uh, governments and politicians and even to firms and cities and states. But we have to cut our carbon emissions to zero and find ways to absorb some of what we have already emitted if we're going to stay on that path.
1: That was Paul Edwards, one of the lead authors on the U.N. Climate Report. He's the director of the Program on Science, Technology, and Society at Stanford University. You heard him speaking with KPBS Midday Edition host Maureen Kavanaugh.